Okay, so this is day number seven, and this will be Bible study number six. And the outreach continues to be a great blessing. It's good to meet different people. It's good to get the banner up. And over the last two days, we've been able to give out over 225, 30 DVDs. And it's good to do this. Where they go, we don't know. I was thinking to myself through the night, all these people heading off to Euston train station, taking our tracks, getting on their trains, going to the Midlands, going to Manchester, Newcastle, Scotland, Wales, perhaps leaving our tracks on the train to allow someone else to read. And these tracks can pretty much cover the entire world. I've heard some very interesting stories of tracks that have gone from one part to the globe and have been found on other parts. Absolutely incredible. But last night we were doing some outreach at Euston train station. It was dark, it was wet, it wasn't particularly nice, and uh, the track's going well. And this guy came over, took a track from one of the brothers, and read it and asked him what the uh, flames were all about, and had some other questions for him. He looked somewhat puzzled by the tract. And I should say we've got this credit card tract, which we've been giving out. We ordered 10,000, and my guess is we've probably given out over half so far. So great achievements. But like I say, he was somewhat puzzled as to what this tract's all about, what uh, does a flame mean, so on and so forth. And he came, came over to me, very tall chap, about six foot two, six foot three. And as always, I thought to myself, friend or foe, you're very vulnerable when you do street work. You don't know who's coming around that corner. And somebody may give the impression of being a friend and end up being a foe. So I walked over to him, and like I said, it was cold, it was wet, it was dark. And I said to him, well, this is a Bible tract, and it's simply about hell and how you need to be born again. And I said to him, one of the first things that Christ said was to repent. And I explained that to him. And I explained John 3.3, which we'll look at this morning. And he said to me, so if I just receive Jesus or just accept Jesus, I'm good to go. And I said to him, well, if you receive him by faith, if you are sincere, then yes, absolutely. Our salvation is by grace through faith in Christ alone. Difficult sort of question. And the way that he was coming across made me wonder he was a Muslim. I wasn't sure. And I thought, it's not the best place to get into a Bible study on a street corner. Um, and I said to him, if you've got faith to board a plane, or if you've got faith to allow an operation to take place on you, then you know that as such will achieve something for you. You get made to be or you have the operation done. That's the kind of faith that we're talking about here. Not just a head knowledge, but a real knowledge. So hold that thought, and I'll come back to the conversation with him. But I thought what I'd do is look at John chapter 3 today. Very much a pre-crucifixion passage. And we have to understand that the four Gospels, when it comes to doctrine, probably only about 20% of the four Gospels is relevant for us today. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, known as the Synoptics, pretty much concern the, the, uh, the Lord as a Jew to the children of Israel, pre the cross, pre the new covenant. And that goes back to Sunday's uh, trip to Speaker's Corner, trying to explain to those that were present that much of the material found in the synoptics isn't for the body of Christ. And that's why the epistles are written. A lot of the material found in the Gospels will have application during the millennium. But going back to yesterday's message, how the natural man cannot receive the things of the Lord, they are spiritually discerned. Foolishness to him, he can't comprehend them. He's unsaved. And that's why it's tricky when you have to make a uh, split decision as to whether or not to 
give a Bible study on a street corner to open up the word of God, something which is sacred to somebody who don't know. But in John chapter 3, it says in verse 1, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Of the last part of that, God be with him, Emmanuel. Rabbi, teacher, master, we know. Children of Israel, but probably the Sanhedrin, the religious elites, that thou art a teacher come from God. That's incredible. Most Muslims wouldn't agree to that. They were saying on the one hand that Jesus was a prophet, and at the same time that he was not sinless. They start to mess around with the scripture, the Quran, secular history, they start to muddy the waters. But this man is honest. But it starts off by saying how he came to Jesus by night, verse 2. And that gets flagged up by certain groups to be somewhat critical of Nicodemus. Why come by night? Were you ashamed? Were you trying to avoid ridicule? Or were you concerned about being excommunicated? Either way, he, he seeks the Lord out. Either way, he finds him and he speaks to him. And it starts off very positively. We know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. When it comes to miracles, Jesus Christ did more than anybody else ever has done or ever will do. In fact, I think from memory, the Britannica Encyclopedia says that Christ did more miracles than anybody else. And yet when Muhammad was asked to do miracles, just similar miracles, like give my sight back to me, give my hearing back to me, allow me to walk, just general stuff, which Christ did every day of the week, he couldn't do it. In fact, one of the Muslims said that he split the moon. Where's the evidence for that? Let's keep reading on, verse 3. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now it's interesting how this dialogue goes. First of all, Nicodemus has approached Christ, and verse 2, he says, we know who you are, so on and so forth. But the Lord doesn't get into that. He gets straight down to business. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, and vicariously, all other sinners, except the man or woman, be born again. He cannot see the kingdom of God. Before you are saved, you are dead in your sins. Before you are saved, you are an enemy of God. Before you are saved, you have no hope whatsoever of being received by Almighty God. And that's something which was difficult to articulate to those present on Sunday. But this came up last night with this chap outside Euston train station. For Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? So Christ is speaking about something spiritual. And this man responds with a physical question. You've got two worlds here, got two ideologies here. You've got Christ speaking in a spiritual sense, a figurative language, and Nicodemus, this great scholar from verse 1, a ruler of the Jews, a PhD, has no idea what is going on, very much like the crowd from Sunday. And somewhat like last night's conversation as well. How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? He thinks Christ is beginning about a physical birth in order to be saved. Verse 5, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And most folks come along, and so there you are, you see, 
you need to be baptized by water to go to heaven. In fact, most Christian groups teach that you need to be baptized by water to go to heaven. And this chap from last night said to me that water baptism plays a part in one's salvation. I said, no, actually water here, there's two parts to this meaning. First of all, you've got the aspect of the physical birth, which is found in verse 6. But secondly, you've got the spiritual aspect of this. We know we can't be saved by water baptism. If we could, the thief on the cross would have perished. He wasn't baptized. Verse 6, that which is born of flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So the flesh is the flesh being water from verse 5 concerning your physical birth. But spirit being spirit from verse 6 feeds back into verse 5. To be born of the water, first birth, and of the spirit, the second birth. So the first birth is physical. The second birth is spiritual. And this went right over the head of Nicodemus. Not particularly surprising. He wasn't saved. He was seeking the truth like Cornelius would over in Acts chapter 10, and yet much of what the Lord said to him went right over his head, like it would with the uh, lady at the wall, sorry, the lady at the well in uh, chapter 4, that group over in Capernaum in the synagogue in chapter 6 concerning eating his flesh and drinking his blood. So I'm not overly surprised that Nicodemus didn't really grasp what was going on here. In fact, let me say this, nobody was born again until Acts chapter 1, verse 7. Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. And that's what we tell people. We tell people to be born again. We ask people, have they been born again? And yet even that question doesn't always help because most groups will say they are born again. Catholics say they're born again. Mormons say they're born again. JWs don't say they're born again. The SDA will say they're born again. Anglicans will say they're born again when they got baptized, when they were christened. Of course, they are kidding themselves. You have to have faith in the one true God in order to be saved. You have to trust in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So when I read these verses, the first seven from John chapter 3, I see a man who wants to know more, who travels at night to meet the rabbi, the teacher of teachers, has a question about, uh, or makes a statement that we know who you are, so on and so forth. And Jesus says, that's all very well. But verse 3, except the man born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God, which goes back to the account over in Luke. Blessed is the womb, that bear thee, the paps which thou sucked. He says, never mind that. It's better to hear the word of God and keep it. This is typical of many people, many self-righteous people, many religious people, trying to bracket you, trying to compare you with themselves. Always a deadly thing to do. Look at verse 8. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and there heareth the sound thereof. But canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. The new birth is a supernatural act. It's something which you can't do yourself. Unlike most religions, which teach that if you, for example, take your first communion, that initiates your membership into the Catholic Church, and you're pretty much good to go. Or if you get circumcised, that puts you into Islam, into the covenant of Abraham, or feeds into the Mosaic covenant if you're a Jew. And that pretty much start you off this still works in fact Paul would tell us over in Galatians chapter 3 that we weren't saved by doing deeds of the law or acts of the flesh but we were saved by receiving the gospel by faith how faith comes by hearing and him by the word of God but what we believe as Bible believers is very much under attack now people pretty much sneering at us but this chap from last night was somewhat of um, 
an unusual chap to really assess because I said to him, do you know Jesus? Are you a Christian? Do you love Jesus? Do you read the Bible every day? And he said to me, no, I don't read it every day, which is pretty typical of what I hear from many uh, people. And he was somewhat hesitant to say whether or not he loved the Lord. So I said to him, so you are a Christian? He said, yes, I am. So I said to him, well, that's wonderful. How can I help you then? I thought he was somewhat interrogating me. I thought to myself, are you a Muslim? Couldn't quite work him out. Like I say, it's night time, it's pitch black, it's raining, I'm tired. I'm not sure whether he's a friend or foe. I'm having to think quickly on my feet. Very typical of those of us which do a lot of street work. Trying to help this guy, trying to work out who he was and where he was coming from. So he said to me, well, I thought you might be a Jehovah's Witness. Because they give out these types of cards. I said to him, no, they don't. They give out Watchtower magazines. They don't give out tracts. They don't speak about being born again. And I said to him that, that I'm a born-again Christian from Manchester. And uh, my brother here is from Spain. We're here to do some work. We're here to get the gospel out. At that point, he somewhat uh, changed his demeanor. was a bit more friendly, a bit more open. And uh, I said to him that this was our tract. This was our website, so on and so forth. And he would be welcome to check us out. With that, he shook my hand, turned around and walked off. But again, I wasn't overly sure what to make of him. And many times when I meet people in the street, I'm sometimes puzzled as to, are they really sincere or are they agents of the devil? I guess in eternity we will know. And yet saying that, I think Patrick had a conversation with a girl the day before yesterday for 20 minutes, spoke to her about the gospel. The following day, he went back to the train station at half past seven in the morning and she walked straight past him. Now, she didn't offer herself as a Christian, which is fair enough. She didn't offer herself as somebody who was interested in the gospel. But she did spend 20 minutes on their first meeting, you know, discussing things of the Lord. And he thought maybe the next morning he could do a follow-up, which is always good to do. And yet she walked straight past him. I think it's like many people. They hear the gospel. They think about it. They don't want to be the odd one out. Their friends and family are not saved. Most in the UK are not saved. I think it's fair to say maybe 5,000 in this country are actually saved. Tiny, tiny minority, which leaves 60 million that aren't. So it's not surprising that people such as her would walk straight past us and not want to enter into further dialogue. Look at verse 9. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? He's got no idea as to what is going on. And this goes back to Sunday once again. When we speak to people about spiritual things, we know that for the most, it doesn't register with them. It can't register with them. They're not saved. And yet we've got to do it because they may get saved or they may be out of fellowship with the Lord. We just don't know. And it's a very difficult decision to make. How much light do I share with you? How much time do I spend going back and forth with you? Should I get my Bible open and spend half an hour giving a Bible study on a street corner? I remember about two years ago, two JWs came over to me in my town Two female JWs from Poland. One spoke pretty good English, the other not so good. And I spent 45 minutes going back and forth with these two women. And I felt somewhat led to do that. And we got on to this piece of scripture, to be born again. We got on to how Christ's blood is divine, not human. All the usual subjects. And I could see that I wasn't getting anywhere. And yet I felt compelled to continue to speak to these two women. Because it's kind of rare that two JWs will stop and talk for so long. They are trained to give you about 10 minutes, and only if they think you are interested in who they are. 
and where they're coming from. And I made the case as well as I could about the, the gospel and the scriptures and so forth. Well, about six months later, I was out and about on my travels on the walking, talking pulpits, and I saw them walking down the street. And I was going this way, and they were going that way. They walked straight past me. Eyes didn't meet. I thought, fair enough. I've done my bit. That's kind of typical. But poor old Nicodemus, how can these things be? You mean to tell me a good Muslim won't go to heaven? You mean to tell me a good Catholic won't go to heaven? You mean to tell me a good Hindu or a good Sikh won't go to heaven? Yeah, except you repent, you should all likewise perish. That's the text on our tract. And I told this chap from last night that if you don't repent, you're going to burn. And he said to me, so if I just ask Jesus in, into my heart, or if I just believe on him, I'm good to go. And I thought, don't give me the easy believism line. That somehow that's not enough. That somehow faith alone isn't enough. That somehow you've got to do something. And I think what I was getting from him, on the one hand, was a picture of Lordship Salvation feeding into the charismatic movement. Because he said to me that the JWs don't believe in the Holy Spirit, meaning the gift of the Spirit. It's the same old thing, time after time. Do you speak in tongues? Have you been baptized in the Holy Ghost? This and that. They'll come up to you, these people. They will ask you these types of questions and yet they won't go up to everyday people queuing up at bus stops or queuing in a supermarket or going about their everyday business they'll come up to us and ask these types of questions they will grill us every given opportunity like that lady at speaker's corner spending 20 minutes about the sabbath and you know she didn't spend five minutes going over to the muslims or the atheists and uh, asking them such a question about whether or not they keep the sabbath people are strange they know that they can clash with us but they're not willing to clash with unsaved people because they know that they're going to get a response and it could be quite hostile. Verse 10, Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel and knowest not these things? That's a great sarcastic response. You mean to tell me you've got a PhD, a BA, a THD, and yet you don't understand the new birth? You mean to tell me you are this great scholar and yet you can't understand the King James Bible? You mean to tell me you are this great academic and yet you think evolution is so? 11. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and you receive not our witness. We speak, we testify, you receive not our witness. When I first read this years ago, I thought to myself, this has got to be in reference to the Trinity. Verily, verily, listen to me, I say unto thee, singular, we, plural, speak that we do know. There's nobody else present and testify that we have seen. Over in Matthew chapter 4, when Satan was tempting the Lord, he turned around and said to the devil, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Another great scripture to show a JW. He's affirming his deity in here. He's saying we. Could be the Father and I. Could be the Holy Ghost and I. Could be all three of them. And ye, as the children of Israel, as the Sanhedrin, receive not our witness. And here we are 2,000 years on. And people continue to not receive the witness of Christ. And yet, like I've been saying over the last several days, we continue to push on. We don't get discouraged. We don't get disillusioned. We push on. In fact, there's a scripture over in the Old Testament which speaks about three groups of people that get saved. Those that are in debt, those that are discontented, and those that are in distress. And if you're not amongst one of those three groups of people, you will never get saved. And yet it is heartbreaking to see many religious people joining false religions, attacking what we do, attacking our great saviour. I'll say this, that nobody will ever love you like Jesus does. 
And you try and explain it to someone. In fact, it's like this, I think I've said before, that if something works for someone, whether it's true or not, they will stick with it. It shouldn't be the case. If you are JW, or a Mormon, or a Catholic, or Muslim, if it works for you, you will stay with it. And that's why most on that wide road, not all murderers, not all rapists, not all pedophiles, many religious people. In fact, somebody once said that the Lord gives man enough rope to save him, and at the same time enough rope to hang him. Because this book is a double-edged sword, and yet people attack it, mock it, and condemn themselves by their ignorance, willful ignorance. Verse 12, if I have told you earthly things and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? So the impression I get from this is that Nicodemus could have received this message had he wanted to, and of course he goes on to get saved, incidentally. So it's not that they can't believe, like our Calvinists would have us believe, but it's that they won't believe, because their hearts are wicked. They have corrupt minds. They love their sin rather than light. They want to do anything. They want to be part of anything or anything apart from biblical Christianity. They think that this isn't for them. This also goes back to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, how the spiritual man doesn't need to be judged by anyone compared to the natural man who's got no hope, no way of being reconciled to an all-holy God until and unless he gets born again. If I have told you earthly things concerning your birth, and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? Also feeds into Matthew chapter 7. Don't cast your pearls before swine. Don't keep going back over the same, the same old ground, the same old people. There are more fish in the sea. And I'll close in verse 13. And no man hath ascended up to heaven, be that came down from heaven, even a son of man which is in heaven. Present tense. The Son of Man which is in heaven. And that means he went up by his own power and he came down by his own power. It's absolutely true to say that if we were to line up all of the religious leaders from creation, examine them one by one, Christ stands over all of them. He stands superior to all of them. Not only would he come down to earth of his own free will, not only would he die on the cross due to his own free will, but according to this, the Son of Man comes down from heaven by his own power, his own authority. And he would resurrect himself, according to John chapter 2, by himself, in conjunction with God the Father, Galatians chapter 1, and the Holy Ghost, Romans chapter 8. This is a supernatural book. That doesn't really need to be said, but it doesn't do any harm to say that. And we, we worship a supernatural being, an eternal being. And God has made it somewhat easy for us to point people to him, to try and articulate the plan of salvation to those that will receive it. While at the same time, he also puts roadblocks up. To the Jews, this is a stumbling block. And to the Greeks, this is foolishness. And just many people over the past week have looked at us as if we are insane, have tried to uh, make us feel somewhat inferior but that's okay, we are fools for Christ's sake. And we do so because it's part of being saved. We have been saved to suffer for him, suffer with him, suffer on his behalf. So I think I will close it there. This has been number six, as I say, day seven, our final full day together in central London. 
been a great blessing to start our mornings reading through the Word of God to hopefully get us prepared for the day ahead to go onto the streets and preach the gospel. Not an easy thing to do. Like I say, you have to very much think quick on your feet. At the same time, you don't want to come across as maybe flippant or too arrogant or uh, too sure of yourself. You want to do what you do with the help of the Holy Ghost. So Nicodemus, religious man, a righteous man, would seek the Lord out, which is a good sign. Most people don't seek the Lord out anymore. And yet it's over in Luke, I think it's uh, chapter 19, it says how the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. You've got two things going on. You've got man seeking the Lord and you've got the Lord seeking man. And somehow, in a way that I don't understand, they meet in the middle. Unlike all other religions, you've got where men are seeking God, trying to do the five pillars of Islam, trying to do mass, trying to do this, trying to do that. 30 hours a week, knocking on doors, being a good Mormon, so on and so forth. All in vain, all unnecessary. Receive Christ as your saviour. Nicodemus would do that, but it took, what, 12, 13 verses to really drive the point home. It also shows me that even with all of his education, all of his uh, background, what Christ would say to him went right over his head. Completely foreign to him, but that was true probably of all of us before we got saved.